Welcome to Making It Happen, a podcast all about sharing stories of those who have made it happen their way. This is about motivating those from all walks of life to know that no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, and especially no matter how old you are, that you can make whatever you want to happen a reality. These stories have inspired me, and I know they will inspire you. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Making It Happen. I'm your host, Ada Ruth Huntley, and thank you so much for taking the time to tune in to another episode of the show. This show is all about featuring young people and highlighting their incredible accomplishments to emphasize that no matter your circumstances, you can make whatever you want to happen a reality. Today, I am so excited to welcome a great, great friend of mine over the past years, Meg McGuffin, to the podcast. Now, before I let Meg share, I want to tell you a little bit more about what she does. Meg McGuffin is a native of Ozark, Alabama, currently residing in New York City. Meg has been involved in pageantry as a contestant, judge, and board member for 21 years. No stranger to the Miss America's Outstanding Teen organization, Meg was crowned Miss Alabama's Outstanding Teen in 2007 and became the first teen winner to also claim the title of Miss Alabama eight years later. As Miss Alabama 2015, Meg served as an advocate for positive body image and eating disorder awareness through her platform, Healthy is the New Skinny, and was awarded second runner-up to the Jean Bartel Quality of Life Award at the Miss America competition for her efforts. Her performance at the 2016 Miss America competition earned her a top five finish and over $12,000 in scholarship earnings. Meg is a classically trained dancer. She is trained in classical ballet, point, jazz, tap, modern, contemporary, hip-hop, musical theater, and precision dance styles for 23 years. For the past 12 years, Meg has worked as a dance teacher and choreographer. A two-time graduate of Auburn University, Meg holds a bachelor's degree in radio, television, and film, and a master's degree in administration of higher education. Meg currently works as a hall director at Bernard College at Columbia University while she pursues an advanced master's degree in higher post-secondary education at Teachers College at Columbia University. In her spare time, Meg works as a certified pure bar instructor, helping motivate and encourage men and women in their journeys to a healthy, happy, and fit lifestyle. Meg and her husband, Blake, are the proud parents of a furry four-legged feline daughter, Monkey, and enjoy lazy Sundays binge-watching the latest docuseries on Netflix. So, Meg, obviously you've had an incredible career both in the pageant industry and what you're pursuing now, but the focus of this podcast is absolutely going to be your education journey because I think that's such a cool part of your story that doesn't get as much exposure. How did you know that you wanted to go into higher ed? Oh, man. Well, it's... You know, nobody wakes up when they're seven or eight years old and is asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nobody says, oh, I want to be a student affairs professional or I want to go into higher education. That's just something that's really not on your radar when you're younger. And it wasn't really on my radar until um, I was in college and I had a lot of mentors who were student affairs professionals who were working at Auburn University um, and they really, you know, invested a lot in me and were able to help me develop into a leader. Um, and I kind of had this revelation, oh my gosh, they like get paid to do this. I could get paid to do this one day. And so that kind of was really the springboard for my interest in higher ed. And, you know, over the past really eight years, my interest has only grown. Um, higher education is so much more than student affairs. It's so much more than professors in a classroom. Um, you know, you can look at it 
in the way that it impacts individual students. You can look at it in the way that it impacts, you know, yeah, professors, faculty, staff. You can look at, though, these big institutions and how they impact one another and how they impact our, our greater society. And that's kind of my research interest. Um, but there are so many you know, so many lenses to look at higher ed through and, and really to think about its impacts. And I think that's what has kept, kept me interested. Um, that was kind of the hook that, that got me once I, I started this journey. And it's such a niche field, which is why I'm so excited that we're going to be able to offer the world your perspective on the show. So, you know, you talk about the mentors that you had and student leadership and how they ended up motivating you to want to go into higher education. But how did those extracurriculars at the same time, like Camp Regal, because I know that some of you were able to do, help prepare you for your graduate programs and what was to come post your time at Auburn? Well, it's really funny because when I think back on my experiences at Auburn, you know, we think so much about, you know, what you majored in, what classes you took, what were your grades like? Um, but when I look back, yeah, I had some incredible in-classroom experiences, but what stuck with me and what I think has had such a hand in, you know, really crafting who I am as a person is those experiences that I had outside of the classroom. So the experiences that I had in the residential hall, in the experiences that I had, um, you know, as a member of a sorority, the experiences I had uh, doing Eagle Eye TV and as a Camp War Eagle counselor and, you know, there's a long, I have a laundry list of things, you know, I can't even remember all the things that I was involved in in college. I was Miss Auburn University. I did SGA for a year. I mean, I really dipped a toe in everything that um, Auburn had to offer as far as extracurriculars and student involvement was concerned. And I think experiencing my own individual personal development and growth made me reflect on that and realize that you know, other students get to have that as well. And how can I contribute to that personal, professional development and growth for students? Um, you know, college, yeah, you have this, this intellectual development and learning that takes place, but you've also got this development of these soft skills, right? This human development where you're learning how to, you know, have an argument with your roommate or you're learning how to, you know, really advocate for yourself and something you believe in. And, you know, those are, are just as important if, you know, and sometimes arguably more important than the intellectual skills and knowledge that, that you're learning in college. Um, and so I think, after realizing how much I had grown from those things, I thought, what a cool opportunity to be able to help other students in that educational journey. And then, I mean, going back to what I was talking about earlier, for me, I think my love of research uh, has, has kind of, um, you know, just added to my love for student affairs and student development. And I can certainly relate to that. You know, sorry to any of my professors if you happen to be listening to this episode, but I've learned so much from those experiences outside of the classroom and those extracurriculars that I had the opportunity to participate in. And that's a perfect segue to this next topic of you in the pageant world. And I okay. feel like that's how a lot of people know you. So I'm excited that we're getting to bring a new exposure to who Meg is and yeah. your career aspirations. But you did kind of kick some honey in the Miss America organization. <laughs> you had the opportunity to serve incredibly as our Miss Alabama 
And he plays fourth runner-up at Miss America. You know, I'm still convinced that you should have won, but that's my personal opinion and I'm sticking to it. How did the Miss America organization prepare you for your future career aspirations in higher ed? You know, I view the Miss America organization as a college access program. And a lot of things can be said about it. A lot of arguments can be made about, you know, the equity of the program. And I I completely hear and, you know, have my own viewpoints on, on that. However, what it did for me was provide me access to spaces that I would not have had otherwise. Um, When I was, you know, 14 years old, I won Miss Alabama's Outstanding Teen, which secured me um, a full scholarship to, you know, basically any college in the state of Alabama. And, um, you know, I come from a low-income background. I come from (laughs) poor rural Alabama, where a lot of students aren't able to access higher education um, for a lack of, you know, knowledge about how those, how to navigate those institutions or for a lack of money. It's, it's expensive to go to college. Um, and so through this organization, it literally provided me with the knowledge to navigate these systems and the financial capacity to be able to um, pursue a college education. Um, and I will, you know, that's, I will never take that for granted. I will always give the Miss America organization that due credit. Um, I think at, in serving in those roles uh, as Miss Alabama, as Miss Alabama's outstanding team competing at Miss America, I think it only added to, you know, my ability to work with um, a diverse set of people, people who, um, you know, may have similar backgrounds to me, but also may have totally different backgrounds than me. And it helped me understand the importance of celebrating all of those backgrounds and celebrating people as they are uh, and uplifting people. I know that, you know, I also got to do a lot of community service that year. And that was what was really the forefront of my year was doing community service and giving back to other people. Um, And so I think, you know, kind of my philosophy in life is just to to love on others. And I was able to do that in the Miss America organization. And I'm able to do that now in higher ed. And that's certainly something that I've seen you embody over the years, which again, you're giving me all these great transitions. It's a perfect segue to the next question. And you kind of already hit on this, you know, in your job, you'll be required to work with students of all different types of backgrounds. And I know that diversity, equity, and inclusion are topics that are incredibly important to you both in your career and personally. How have you been preparing for that aspect of your future career? You know, I think that I have a very unique experience, um, a very unique education experience. I um, grew up in rural Alabama. I went to a predominantly black high school and then I went to Auburn, which is a predominantly white institution. And that dichotomy really opened my eyes to a lot of inequities that take place in higher education every day. Honestly, I think that kind of you know triggered an interest in me in higher education and understanding these inequities and understanding the sociology of higher education. Uh, who gets in, who's able to go, uh, who graduates, what do they look like, right? Who are these people? What opportunities are we preparing them for? And what is the real purpose of higher education? And those are questions that I continue to ask in my research um, and something that I I really, really enjoy studying. Um, And so, 
you know, constantly thinking about initiatives of diversity, inclusion, equity, access, they are ongoing conversations in higher education. I think over the past 10 years, especially, we have really taken some steps. I think we should take larger steps (laughs) more quickly, Um, but higher education is often a very slow moving institution. It's, you know, so important to recognize the ability that higher education has to provide people with social mobility, um, to provide them with social mobility, to provide them with opportunities um, that maybe, you know, historically their families have not been welcome into, into these spaces. You know, through my research, I really focus on, you know, what policies are in place that perpetuate privilege and prevent um, marginalized groups from, you know, entering these spaces and really being able to be successful in these spaces. Uh, I'm a hall director at Barnard College. Um, So from a practitioner's perspective, the way that I interact with my students, um, I'm very cognizant of the backgrounds that they that they carry, the identities that they hold. Um, and I work really hard to, to celebrate all of those identities, to recognize where my where I have privilege and listen and understand that I'm not always gonna understand every perspective and everyone's experience because I that's just not my experience, right? Um, but listening and validating those experiences, I think, has been something that I've worked particularly hard in my last three years as the hall director to do. And that's what, you know, I want to I want to keep doing that. And, you know, I, I certainly make mistakes all the time. Nobody's perfect. Right. But I'm, you know, actively working to learn and unlearn and recognize bias and point it out when I see it and, and working to maintain that accountability piece. And you're right, nobody is perfect, but it sounds like you're taking all the necessary and needed steps to continue to celebrate those different identities that your students are going to be walking onto their various campuses with. And, you know, you have an exciting opportunity to get to interact with a lot of people from different backgrounds in New York City as you continue your education at Columbia University, Ivy League, Casual Flex. (laughs) Why did you end up choosing to continue your education at Columbia, besides the obvious reason of it being an IV and an incredible program? It was always my dream to attend an Ivy League institution. And actually, when I was in middle school, I had like a binder and every single Ivy League school had its own folder in the binder and like any kind of recruitment materials they would send me or anything I printed out from their websites, I put in this folder. And it was, I mean, it was my dream, but Ivy Leagues are expensive. And again, when I was, you know, talking earlier about access, I didn't, I, you know, I never thought that I would be able to attend an Ivy League school. And then, of course, when I won Miss Alabama's Outstanding Teen, I had a full ride to Auburn. And, you know, that's I've always been an Auburn fan. That's where I wanted to go. Um, so the Ivy League dream kind of got put on the back burner. Um, and then when I graduated with my master's, I kind of realized that anything is po- like anything is possible. I don't know why it took me 23 years to realize that, but I started thinking, I can make these dreams that I've always had come true. Like make a bucket list, make a bucket list for your life and work on checking those off. You're never too old to accomplish 
you know, a dream that even you set, you know, for me, I set it in middle school, right? So I started looking into um, different higher ed programs. I knew I wanted to get a doctoral degree in higher education. Um, And I also have always dreamed of living in New York City. So what better place to look at than Columbia and Ivy League in the heart of New York City? Um, And it just so happens that Columbia, um, their affiliate school, Teachers College, um, which is the oldest graduate college of education, um, has, you know, a top 10 higher ed program. So I um, applied and actually my fir- the first time I applied, I was not accepted to the doctoral program, um, but they have like a intermediate program. So they have like a master's, an advanced master's, and then a doctoral degree. So I um, didn't get into the doctoral degree my- the first time I applied, um, but they did accept me to the um, advanced master's program. So I completed that program, wasn't sure. I was a little, I don't want to say snobby, but I was, you know, I was a little put off. They didn't accept me the first go around. How dare they, right? Um, So I didn't, I wasn't sure if I was even going to come, but then I thought, you know what, this is how you get there. You take one step and it leads to another opportunity. So I decided to just go for it. Of course, Blake, my husband, was very supportive. He was like, you're in Columbia. Like, who cares if it's the doctoral program or the advanced master's? Like, just go. So I went, completed that program, applied again a second time for the doctoral program, and this time was accepted. So I've been at Teachers College for a total of almost three years now studying, and it's been truly an honor to study here. The faculty are absolutely outstanding. I think at other schools, you're reading the textbooks and at at teacher's college, you're in class with the person who wrote the textbook. Um, So it's it's just a really, really cool experience to learn from from such incredible scholars. It sounds like an incredible experience. And, you know, it's so inspiring to hear that even though you had that setback, you proceeded with the opportunity that was given to you and then ended up getting to do exactly what you wanted to do even if it was a few years delayed and took a stop at the planes to get there, you know, and (laughs) that's the whole purpose of this show is demonstrating to people that regardless of their circumstances, you can make your dreams happen, even if that doesn't look like a direct route as you've so demonstrated. But, you know, being in your program, of course, there's a lot of studying and you're actually the second married individual I've had on the podcast. So you get to offer a little bit of a different perspective there, but I can imagine that you're, studies and your research and all the different things that you have going on can keep you pretty busy. Mm -hmm. How do you maintain a work-life balance and all of that? Uh, Well, COVID has made it honestly a little bit easier um, because I am both working and schooling from home and my husband is also working from home. So we um, literally spend every waking hour together um, and I'm really glad that we like each other. (laughs) Um, uh, I always joke that at the end of the pandemic, couples are going to end up um, pregnant or divorced. We are neither, <laughs> which is exactly where we want to be. Um, and we've really enjoyed being able to to spend this additional time together. Um, but, you know, before the pandemic, when he was working all day and I was working all day and then I had I had class at night, it, it was challenging. It was challenging to carve out time. Um, but, you know, you make it work. Um, evenings are kind of our safe time when we, you know, 
hang out together, watch TV or a movie, maybe go out to dinner sometimes. Um, so you just, you know, you have to manage your time. Um, and you both have to be committed. I mean, marriage isn't easy. Um, it takes two people really wanting it to work to make it work. And I know that that sounds like a cliche and everyone says it, but it really is, it really is true. Um, if one person is not willing to put in the work, then it's, it's going to crumble. Um, so I'm, I'm very lucky to have a partner that is supportive and my biggest cheerleader. And it's actually funny because sometimes I'll be like, Oh, I think I want to like skip class tonight. And he's like, Nope, you gotta go. (laughs) So there's like no cutting corners for me. He very much holds me accountable. Well, I love that you have that support system in Blake. And for those listening, if you think you know what a courthouse elopement looks like, you actually don't because <laughs> Megan Blake took this to a whole other level. So certainly go check out her Instagram and see what I'm talking about. It was one of the prettiest ceremonies I've ever seen. So thank y'all for providing the world that because we certainly oh, needed it. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was beautiful. But it sounds like he's providing you a lot of great support, you know, as you continue on throughout your career and, you know, it begs the big question, what's next for you post your PhD program? That is the million dollar question. I, uh, I don't know. Um, I have a lot of areas of interest, which I could have much worse problems, right? I'm very interested in continuing my scholarship, continuing my research, whether, you know, that could be as a research assistant for a, you know, research institution, think tank, lobby firm, Um, that works in policy, or that could be as, you know, a tenure faculty member somewhere teaching higher education. Um, I do think I would really enjoy teaching and and I kind of think I would be pretty good at it. So um, might take that route. We'll see. But I also love students. I love the practitioner side of higher education as well. Like I would love to be a dean of students. I would love to be senior administration somewhere, either as a president of, you know, maybe a community college or a smaller liberal arts school, um, or even, you know, president of student affairs. Who knows? Why not? I say the sky's the limit. And, you know, that's (laughs) what this whole show is about is encouraging people to see beyond their circumstances and recognize that they can do anything they freaking want to. So, you know, as we wrap this up, it's the million dollar question I ask every guest on the show what would you say to anyone out there trying to make it happen in their own lives? Somebody else has probably said this on the podcast before me, but it's so true. You just have to take risks. You can't be scared to take risks because you never want to wake up and look back and think, ah, coulda, shoulda, woulda, wish I had. You just have to do it. Moving to New York City from rural Alabama three years ago was scary Um, You know, not having family, not having super close friends here. That was scary. You're about to move to Napa where you don't know anybody. That's also, you know, scary and it can be intimidating. But, you know, you just got to go for it. You know, I could have stopped when Columbia, you know, didn't accept me into their doctoral program the first time I applied. And instead I was like, you know what, I'm going to get my foot in the door. I'm going to work. I'm going to prove myself. Um, and, And I did. I was able to do it. I also think that you're never too old to do something ever. Um, That's something that I think, you know, my generation 
struggles with is older generations constantly telling us, oh, you're too old. Oh, you're too old to do that. You need to, you know, settle down and, and have children or, you know, there's like this trajectory for what your life is supposed to look like. And the only person responsible for making your life look the way that that you want it to is you, right? So if you want to have children at 23, by all means, start that family, do that. But if you want to, you know, audition for the Rockettes at 29, that is a thing too. do it. Like I'm going to be doing it. <laughs> you know, if you want to start over in a completely new place at 32, do it. Like you have nothing but time. Um, and you know, it's your life. It's your story. You get to write it. Also, when you are met with people who tell you no, look them in the eye and say, you don't mean no, you mean not yet. Um, because I really think that that's, that's how, you know, that's how we play it. That's how you got to get places in life is you got to say, mm, they said no, but really they just left off the T-Y-E-T. <laughs> it's not yet. <laughs> I absolutely love that. It's it's not yet. It's not no. And you are certainly a testament of that. So thank you so much, Meg, for coming on the show, sharing your heart with us and your career aspirations, certainly wishing you the best of luck and that journey to become a rocket or become a president of an institution, whatever that looks like for you, we're certainly going to be cheering you on 110% of the way. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Making It Happen. You can check out a new episode each and every week by subscribing or following wherever you're listening to this podcast. Additionally, leave a review wherever you're listening to this episode so I can learn how to make this show just a little bit better to inspire you to make it happen. Lastly, be sure to follow the podcast Instagram page at Making It Happen underscore podcast for additional content about the show. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope this episode inspired you to make it happen. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Making It Happen. I hope that you join me each week for a brand new episode and are sure to follow the podcast Instagram page at Making It Happen underscore podcast. I hope that you left this episode inspired and are ready to go make it happen.